Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right, that's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. Anyone who messes with Jivraj Singh messes with me. I say that not to sound menacing, but to give you the shortest description of our relationship. One comprising of complexity so multi-layered that we have been open in admitting that complete understanding of the same is still very much a work in progress. My godbrother, an artistic soulmate, a fellow student of a shared musical lineage, one of the hottest drummers on the planet, as quoted, one half of history-making Indian indie act Parikan Singh, heir to the first family of Indian independent music. That's just the beginning of the list. I'll leave that list out and let you find your own adjectives. And move on to the conversation, one even though the first to address certain topics on the record is also just another hang between me and Jivraj Singh. I realise that might contradict most of what I just said, but hey, welcome to our world. And we are rolling. Damn brother, you made it. <laughs> yeah, I made it. A little late. Later than planned anyway. Yeah. Considering you're, uh, you've actually almost been co-producer of this show in a way, behind the scenes the whole time. Mm. Thanks yeah, for I mean, the credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, amidst many other things, you're definitely, it's not just this podcast, come to think of it, pretty much the past decade, I can't really think of any project I've embarked on without using you as a bouncing board in some form or the other. Mm. Probably some of the some of the stuff I did in Lisbon. That's probably the literally the only phase of my artistic life these past few years, where uh, yeah, because there were too many bouncing boards around anyway. Right. But pretty much everything I've done on my own had has had to have had your stamp of of approval in some way. Hmm. For me, anyway, is this something you were aware of? Oh, uh, yeah, well, in a way, perhaps. I mean, I knew I was in on the process quite often. Hmm, well, it's quite official now. Hmm. How have you been? Good. Today's a, a lockdown day. We're having a twice-a-week lockdown on random days now. An experimental lockdown. And I'd random? kind of forgotten <laughs> that it was a lockdown, so I just thought... It was just one of those unusually quiet days. And then somebody <laughs> reminded me that actually we've been ordered to stay inside. That's why everyone's inside. You thought a sudden influx of civilization had embarked upon us. And then you realized, no, it's just been imposed upon us. Yeah, I was quite gleeful <laughs> at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still gleeful. The quiet is amazing. Yeah, intimately familiar with that sense of glee. In contrast, I could barely keep a meter of distance walking downtown in Mannheim earlier on. Mm. It's quite crazy. Like I was, 
I was actually giving someone a, one of those looks to kill looks on the tram because he wasn't even wearing a mask, this random dude. Mm. It's a very strange position to be in to, uh, when you suddenly realize the role you're playing of being that guy who's judging someone because they're not doing something. I've always been on the other side of that coin, usually. Mm. <laughs> well, most of my life, anyway. It's just a strange role. Um... In a lot of cases on, on this podcast, as you probably know, um, I'll try and start off with a form of um, just trying to remember the first time we met, like the guest who's on the show. In our case, mm. that's particularly tricky because I can't really remember. You were kind of like starting from a certain part of my life in Kolkata, you were kind of always there. And I can't seem to remember exactly when I met you for the first time. Any suggestions? No, definitely not. Because I think at that point, uh, there was just so many people coming into the house, young musicians, mostly. I can imagine. Uh, it was just like a stream of your kind, in a sense. <laughs> uh, so my it was just kind. <laughs> the normal uh, like background for me while I was studying or whatever. Well, it must have been pretty early because uh, it was definitely before you became one of my kind. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. Because I still um, I remember my earliest memories of you being being in shorts and your uniform while while you were still wearing the turban. Mm. So it must have been um, pretty early, and yeah. My first conscious memory of you is. A skinny alley. No, forgive me. A pink noise rehearsal where I sat in. Oh, okay. So that's much later then. Yeah, my first conscious, like like my first conscious um, interaction with you in a manner where you know there was like direct communication of some sort, and you weren't just someone in the background, so to speak. Mm. And yeah. uh, we rehearsed for a gig I didn't turn up to. Because mm. uh, uh, of an upset stomach. That was the official version, but I got to come clean with you. I lied. Mm. I didn't turn up to the gig now because I just wasn't feeling it there. Mm. Yeah. Did you have any idea, any inkling to this? Nope. Yeah. Sorry, man. Sorry to have come clean online. Uh, it was, And I rarely lie, but for s- there was something about the whole thing. I just couldn't... Uh, it was also a very strange phase of my life where I was really figuring out, you know, exactly what are the dynamics in my life and my, especially my musical interactions that I'm feeling comfortable with or not. More than anything, it was just lack of awareness of any sort, how I'm supposed to handle the situation. I was feeling all these things and didn't know what they were, so I just kind of did a runner. Mm. So deepest apologies, especially to Gyan and... Jashri, I felt I remember feeling like a c- complete turd when Gyan rang me up to wish me better health. I was like, yes, thank you, Gyan. <laughs> mm. was, yeah, one of my lowest moments officially. So again, mm. apologies officially. But yeah, that's my first official memory of you. And my first official... Indirect memory of you was being in Mr. Ramadatta's class where he started talking about you. It's like, yeah, Jiver is starting to play drums. And in the beginning, everyone was like, 
oh really uh, you know how'd that happen it was like yeah how drummer didn't turn up one day and he just sat and played and I was like yeah right whatever you know there were so many stories always flying around half the time we didn't know what was crazy like in like crazy crazy or legit except shortly down the line he actually would keep referring to you know, a certain state of puzzlement himself at times saying hmm he's really got a thing like the, t- the technique is very unorthodox he's never actually had lessons but apparently he's got a thing he's he might just end up playing a gig sometime and then that gig <laughs> became um, yeah a tour mm. multiple tours and yeah shortly after this I, I left this was just about before I moved to Europe I moved back to Europe and then um, when I started working in India again um, I think the first time I actually heard you in like full capacity was when I when we worked in this outfit called Kendraka right that's actually our official f- first like collaboration I just realized it's the first time mm. we actually went on the stage and like shared a bill just realized oh that was before we played together that was before we played together but then again it was both of us were playing a role we weren't really like playing what we play we were just yeah trying stuff out in an outfit and uh, yeah. i remember and both of us were basically misfits in the band at some level mm. and but then we could keep kind of eyeing each other from <laughs> our respective corners of the room with the prospective afterthought of uh hitching up later on mm. did i use the word hitching wrongly here my apologies um mm. I think what's always been so attractive for me in the way you approach music is it really goes straight to the straight to that space between uh, tasty cerebral goodies and my heart space mm mm um uh, yeah this is going to be a long recollection because the first time we actually collaborated was like way later on when I started my first ever tour of India as as a solo artist and uh, we did our debut gig at someplace else in Kolkata yep uh, and it's officially the first time we ever when I've ever gone on stage without rehearsing with my own music and mm. I had no idea what I was doing I remember it was edgy enough for me to the, the knowledge that we're going to go on stage with just one rehearsal and then mm. that one rehearsal became half a rehearsal because you were caught up in the studio for a studio gig and yeah then we went on stage and it was one of the best gigs of my life mm. and it was officially you, there are two collaborators I've had in my entire life with whom I've gone on stage and keep going on stage without rehearsing and feeling comfortable that's one is you and another is my friend Johannes who plays flugel horn with me sometimes and does a lot of the arrangements so yeah um this is probably the first time I've been doing so much talking on a podcast where I've invited someone I do apologize but yeah that had to be a like a recollection that to kind of uh, get across cuz I'm not sure you remember all of this do you remember Yeah, for sure. I remember the someplace else gig. Yeah, how, what? I remember all the gigs. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. 
I definitely remember things, even though I don't seem to have a very great memory for a lot of things. But I do I'll remember the gigs. I'll take that as a big compliment, yeah. I, I'm kind of familiar with that, though, though. Sometimes it comes across as a haze. I think for artists to juggle a lot of projects like you do, or did at the time, and I was yeah. too, I was juggling way more than I was actually uh, built to handle at the time. Mm. It, it can come across as a haze. But uh, what were your recollections? Um, yeah, I was definitely trying to do as many different things as possible at that point. And because I was kind of just playing drums uh, and not really part of the writing process or the, the recording process that much in the studio, it wasn't too much for me to juggle. It was just me doing many different gigs. So I just have to show up for rehearsal and do these gigs. Um, and I really enjoyed that experience because I was just trying to expose myself to as many different musical situations as possible. I just wanted to try playing in a bunch of different styles and play with many different people. Mm. So it was very much by design that I was in the thick of things at that point. I like how you use the word design. That's actually one of the first things that struck me about you. Um, that vocabulary. You were one of the first musicians I remember using that word design and um, r- realizing its significance in all of it. It was uh, a very easy template for me to kind of fit into. Mm. I also remember in, in one last conjunction to... <laughs> Uh, that first gig, uh, I do remember feeling really good on stage on that first gig, but not really knowing what what just happened. I just remember like something happened and mm. felt pretty good, but I didn't know what happened. And uh, the person who actually came and gave me perspective on this was Gyan. And he said, that was really good and you guys should keep doing this. And it mm. really surprised me because... I was just—I would have just been happy if I just, you know, ticked off my first ever tour in India with a couple of decent gigs at the time. And I—and uh, Gyan doesn't say stuff like that. Didn't say mm. stuff like that very lightly. And I'm like, "What yeah. do you mean?" And he was like, "Yeah, you guys are in the same space." I was like, "Huh?" And, uh, and it was a bit of an aha thing because I never actually had thought of that. It had taken him to point it out for me to realize that. So thanks again, Gyan. Um, let's set one thing straight on the record, because I think a lot of people need to hear this. You've never had a drum lesson in your entire fucking life, have you? Uh, no, I've, I, I have had drum lessons for sure. I've had many drum lessons actually. Um, but they weren't, I guess they weren't like formal lessons or the atmosphere of the lesson was a bit different because it would be me hanging out with drummers or musicians right, and I was, talking yeah. About stuff and them showing me things. Um, yeah, but I'm referring to that like, kind of okay, lesson. Let me rephrase that. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm totally with you on that. And I totally feel the vocabulary you're using here. But just this is for my listeners. <laughs> mm. A lot of people don't realize you've never been formally trained at playing the drums the way it usually is gone about today, have you? Uh, well, actually, in a way I have. Because a lot of these informal lessons have essentially taken tools and approaches and systems that you would learn in music school. Especially a lot of time spent with Vishal Nayak, a really good right. friend of mine, drummer, oh, of course. producer. Yeah, shout out Vishal. Yeah, and Vishal was already in Berkeley around the time I just started playing drums. 
So mm. when we'd hang out, he'd essentially be sharing some of the stuff he was going through in that academic framework in Berkeley with me, and then giving me the books, etc. And I was, I am quite academically inclined anyway, so I would create an academic environment for myself, even though I wasn't in school necessarily. So yes, I've not been to music school, but I've tried to be a, a diligent music student. I completely agree with that. I have no doubts whatsoever. The main reason I'm addressing this is: Do you realize that that is one <laughs> fucking mind blowing, and two very very unconventional for someone to play at your level with? without a college education is this something you've been aware of i got to ask you this oh i don't find it that that unusual because it seems like there's a lot of people out there who haven't had formal training and are playing at a high level or could you name a few uh <laughs> good very good follow up question um gotcha mate uh it's got to be somebody <laughs> Exactly, because I can guarantee you, I've been trying uh, to come up with that list for quite pretty much since the time I met you. Uh, it's not just playing drums, you know, going, having gone through a list, but you're also working as you've all you've already worked as a professional drummer at a very high level with some very legit artists. Hmm. So uh, I mean, you're <coughs> you know, you're not an advanced student in quote marks. You're a you're an internationally respected drummer slash artist who's never been to college and has an enormously huge palette of musical vocabulary. You've never even ha- been to music school. I mean, and and I feel like a lot of people out there really don't realize that. Like even your contemporaries have never actually wrapped their head around the fact that you're completely self-taught. Sure, you've had people who've given you a few tips here and there maybe you know showed you some stuff hung out with you and I love that that is where true education comes from no doubt but you've completely disproven the credibility of institutionalized music education by default without wanting to is this something you've ever been aware of nope well <laughs> it's food for thought i'd say i mean i'm not trying to you know point fingers at anyone it's, i just find it to be an example a lot of people should take notice of not necessarily in order to you know dis institutional education per se but try and figure out what education can really mean in today's world mm. i don't i'm not interrogating you am i no no not at yeah. all why would you say uh, you start playing drums is that just a coincidence or did it feel like uh. a calling Cuz you had all instruments lying around why was it drums? Mm. Probably something to do with the physicality of it. The fact mm. that it's the entire body at work. Beautiful. I think that really appealed to me. Um I think in a way it probably replaced the function that tennis was playing for me. <laughs> ah, I hadn't Oh yeah, you of course you were a tennis player, too, I remember that. Um yeah, I mean, I I did enjoy playing a bunch of different sports at a terrible level, but I did enjoy the feeling of the body in space and mechanics and 
the rules of the game and i guess the intellect and the body working together that's something that drums felt like as well feels like as well so i think that was probably why that instrument specifically and not the others mm beautiful i can really relate to that do you remember your first gig as a drummer um like first full gig would have been a pink noise gig awesome. i think it was in delhi oh yeah, what a beautiful band it. to make what a beautiful band to make a debut with man yeah here is a topic i've been meaning to address for a while how do you feel about being heir to what has been called the first family of indian independent music um Well, firstly, it definitely meant I had a very interesting childhood. Hmm. Uh quite special, I think, compared with the childhoods of my friends in school for instance, because I was on the road with a band quite often, which was a real thrill for me. Awesome. Um sitting next to the sound engineer at the mixing desk in the middle of the night. I mean, it was just amazing. How old were you then? Uh I guess I started traveling or rather they started traveling and playing shows again when I was 3 I think probably 3 or 4. So you so you've been on the on the road since you were 3 years old? Yeah. Um damn. I think the last show they did was while my mom was still pregnant with me and then they gave it a break for a couple of years. And then wow. they were back. So I think it was just getting exposed to that kind of lifestyle at a very early age and then that continuing and then beginning to meet a lot of musicians through my parents and just having access to a lot of people um and stories and personalities and places mm. i think more than anything that's what it means for me to have had this this entry in a sense to music and then the other thing that is quite apparent to me is um just like the words of gratitude i encounter from people who've interacted with my folks um gratitude for them for my parents wow, so that's something imagine. i keep bumping into um from musicians who had met them mm-hmm. so a certain uh age group of musicians um that's really cool to bump into somebody at an airport and have them speak about my parents in a certain way and see that love and that warmth Beautiful. still lingering yeah rightfully so so yeah those two aspects are what yeah man it means for me yeah does it ever feel like pressure nope excellent you come from a lineage of history makers your parents were part of the first rock band from india maybe even the south asian subcontinent i'm not sure i should probably check up on that 
who signed with a major label singing and writing, writing and singing songs in English. Mm-hmm. And then you went on to be the second, I'm happy to be corrected, but I remember reading this summer, the second Indian act with Parekan Singh to make it to the billboard again with music that was uh, not traditionally classified as indie music per se. I think the first artist, Indian artist who made it was Ravi Shankar. Mm. Um, do you see a correlation here? Do you think that's that role you play in Indian music history is something uh, you've done as an extension of the lineage you come from or is it just a mad coincidence? Uh, yeah, it's just mad coincidence. But I do need to s- clarify one thing because yeah. I'm a stickler for details. Yeah, which yeah is please, that do, please do. I love you for that. Uh, uh, Parikin Singh didn't make it to the Billboard charts but made it to an article in Billboard magazine. Um, and ah. I think in in the news online, it's sort of portrayed, it's kind of easy to read it as, at least the way it seems to me is that it's the Billboard charts. And it's a very different Thank thing you. to be in the Billboard Thank magazine. Thank you. I really appreciate you clarifying that because uh, this was also me uh, consuming information from some random social media feed. And that, my brother, yeah. is well of you. Thanks for that. Yeah, that, that's what stuck out to me from your question. <laughs> okay, yeah. That I love you or that the billboard? The, the, yeah, the, the, the ease <laughs> See, of misinformation <laughs> online. Yeah, you got me nicely. 2-0. Yeah. 2-0 two zero. Um, two zero already, man. You got to up your game here. Uh, I'm um, not competitive. I'm going to lose. <laughs> Neither am I, which is why all the more this is, yeah. Uh, shit. Okay, 2-1. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but what, man, that is mad coincidence, though. You may not have made it to Billboard charts per se, but you definitely made history as uh, one of the first Indian bands to be signed by uh, one of the world's most respected and legit labels. It's crazy. I remember you and me freaking out over Little Dragons music like years before. Mm. Uh, you guys got signed to the same label. You did some major touring in the UK, and you got recognized. You you gave a voice to a certain demographic in India who do relate as anglophonic, well, English speaking, native English speaking um, citizens who grew up with a, a certain mentality, regardless of what personal opinions on that culture is. That's a whole different uh, ballgame altogether. But you gave them a voice in a way very few other bands have had. How do you feel about that? How does that make you feel? Uh, mm, To be very honest, I don't have any feeling about it. Like, I don't have an emotional response to it. I know intellectually it's a good thing. Like, it's helpful for the, the music culture in the country and it's good for us as as a band but it doesn't really factor into my thinking or feeling about the band as work in progress like i don't ever think about it and i don't really have an emotional response to it interesting how did uh, you and parik meet at a birthday party in oh. calcutta 
endearing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Typical Calcutta story, yeah. origin story. Pretty much. I don't know why, but I suddenly started asking myself, I wonder what they had for birthday cake. So, we didn't eat cake. It was somebody else's birthday. Damn. It was a very strange situation and I'm sure we both wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. <laughs> How, wh- what was it that made it strange? Uh, well, I think large social situations in general feel a little strange to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can do it, but I'd rather not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feel you, man. And we've talked about this. Yeah, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> so, how do you guys become uh, musical uh, partners? Just through hanging out. Uh, we mm. live on the same street, or we did live on the same street. And we just meet and play table tennis and watch films and chat and roam around town, eat and do all of this stuff and somewhere in there was some music as well i think it was just a composite of hanging out and spending time together and then mm. the music is just one aspect of that yeah what was it about parikh's uh, music that grabbed you um at the time anyway yeah Because you guys have evolved, you know, it's been a while since you guys started off. I'm referring to the very initial stages. Yeah, I I guess, uh, firstly, even before the music, it would just be some kind of mental connect. um, Because I think he had a certain quick, he has certainly a certain sense of humor that I share. Like, I think Mm. we find a lot of the same things funny we we share a lot of the same inside jokes um and it's it's very abstract it's like it's not even uh it's not like a common sense of humor or it's not things that are funny in general it's just like a tangent of a tangent related to a bunch of situations and some people and somehow we both derive the same enjoyment from that from that wow. abstract mix of things. So I think it's just there there is some intersection between our minds which is very stra- very abstract, very complex, difficult to put a to f- put a finger on, but it's kind of undeniable. And um I think it was that and then that um informed the process of playing music together and working on music together. But I think it's that primarily. It's something in our minds that is in sync. Um, mm. And then, of course, there is common taste, similar taste, um, similar interests. But I got to say, I think it's that that sense of humor and that something in the thought process, which is the key. Um, one would say, and this has been thrown about quite a bit, mm. privilege being one of the bonds the two of you share. Mm. And privilege also being one of the root causes for the success you've enjoyed. Now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm being a dick saying that, but I'm just expressing a certain thought out there in the demographic. And I've also known you long enough to know that, number one, that's not true. I'm not sure exactly how what, what kind of a role it plays between your relationship with Nishchat, because uh, I don't know him well enough. 
But I do know that your uh, journey with music has had only very partially to do with the privileges you've been born into. So, any chance I could get you to elaborate on this? Share some thoughts? Sure. I would say, in a sense, it does have a lot to do with everything. If you think about it, both our parents, um, both our respective, both four parents, I'm not sure how to quantify it, but basically, uh, each of us has parents who unconditionally supported us to pursue whatever creative endeavors we wanted to do. That's beautiful. I think that's true for Nishcha as well. Throughout childhood, throughout school life, college, and into... Much love to, much love to all of them. More parents like that needed to that, as far as that aspect is concerned. For sure. Um, uh, couldn't have gotten luckier in a sense in our choice of parents, you could say. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's a huge factor because there was never any question of struggling to pursue whatever the path is that we're pursuing. Um, on the contrary, for me and I think for Nishche, there's only been support and encouragement and um, just like an unbelievably perfect context. I think as long as some degree of responsibility was maintained and some degree of good behavior was was maintained, I'm talking specifically growing up, but of course all of that Mm -hmm. carries through. I think as long as that was taken care of, there was freedom to explore and there was, I think, a lot of value placed on being creative from our parents which Beautiful. is quite a yeah i think i think that's a unique thing by and large um so yes i would say you could say that privilege in a certain sense has a lot to do with our journey thus far it's made made it possible to a huge extent here's a rabbit hole of a question though mm. i mean that's obviously palpable and very yeah it's just obvious and um also a a very supportive and you know positive happy paradigm to have played a role in your journey but i guess my question would be this rabbit hole Mm. would you have do you think you would have made it without that privilege uh Shitty question, man. I know. Uh, kind of impo- impossible to say. I mean, I I think. I mean, the journey from the beginning would have been different. So I don't even know if I'd be in music. I'd be playing music without the circumstances I was born into and the circumstances of my childhood and my entire life up to this point. I mean, it all adds up to where I'm at now. Um, well. There is a side to the story I happen to be aware of, Mm. which I would like to share with our listeners. Mm. No doubt, you were born into a lineage of established musicians, so you grew up around professional equipment, especially at a time where India had a closed economy and access to that equipment was very, very limited. No doubt about that. Mm. I mean, we we sometimes will still wait for uh, months for... A certain gear to arrive but back mm. in the day it was you know it was 
<laughs> like one uh, guitar was lots of work to mm. get uh, your hands on. Mm. So yeah, no, no doubt. You know, shout out to Gian, Jeshi, Pink Noise, and Omid Dutta as well mm. for that system that was um, there. Omid Dutta's role in that case not necessarily gear oriented, but the knowledge he brought with him and the know how. But here's the thing, and I think a lot of listeners need to know about this. Your parents, and not just your parents, but even Nishja's parents, offered you to, you know, do the whole college route abroad, like move wherever in the UK, US, and pursue a college education of your choice, completely sponsored, mm. and you refused. Yeah, I think that was arrogance on my part, because I I had somehow made up my mind that I would only go if I got like. 90% aid because my scores and all were really high um <laughs> but it didn't happen so I didn't go interesting that you name arrogance and it's you mm. say 90% scholarship mm. but also another here's another fact you're happy to hide it's not like you didn't get a scholarship you did get scholarships and they were pretty high scholarships too they just weren't 90% yeah. and above yeah so you say arrogance you know others might just call that high self esteem uh, well, I I'm, I'm just I'm just kind of thing thinking of what I was like at that age, and I think it was probably more arrogance at that age. But yeah, I guess there is still the seed of something else because I think there was some principle involved. I didn't want them to have to pay a huge amount of money. Exactly, exactly. That's what I'm trying to point to. Mm. So that quintessential paradigm of a spoiled rich kid who is completely ignorant of the privileges he's born to, that has been thrown about every now and then. Mm. Stuff like that gets thrown about all the time. I've, I've dealt with it too and owned some of it as well. That, mm. but, but that doesn't... That's really not a box you fit into, do, is it? Um, sometimes. I mean, I've, for instance, wanted stuff, equipment, professional equipment, and... I haven't had to save up for it. I haven't had to do sure thing, odd sure jobs thing. and oh, yeah, yeah, chores absolutely. to save up to it. Absolutely. And the, my, yeah. I mean, the skinny... <laughs> so, but, but that being said, Skinny Alley was a business too. Like Skinny Alley, Pink Noise, like this, that band. It was also a business establishment. Yeah. So, yeah, and I guess it's complex when you're working with family. I know, it's complex. It was a business yeah. establishment, one you were an active part of as well. Yeah. And we're constantly contributing to as well. So uh, this is for something sure. I've been wanting to clarify for a while because, uh, mm. you, you know, I'm a little defensive about you. I've never pretended to be objective when it comes to you, but uh, I'm trying my level best to be here. And I think this is a decision people are free to make on their own if, if or not they want to label you with that. But I do feel that that's information that really needed to go out there. Mm. You know, you did turn down a lot of privilege that was offered to you in order to pursue something you knew you could carve out completely on your own, which you went on to do as well with PNS. You know, all of that was your baby. Yeah, but again, I mean, just thinking back, we couldn't have been better positioned to begin the project, I think, because there was so much connection between my parents and the music scene in India at the time the fledgling festival circuit. I mean, all the major promoters were in and out of my house. So there was a lot of good fortune along the way. 
it would have it would have been way harder in a sense without that context it was a unique and extremely lucky set of circumstances throughout fair play that is a very advantageous position to be in and i think it's really cool of you to own it for sure i thank my lucky stars every day that being said mm, would you say the artistic vision and the um, the effort that's gone into parikan singh and i know uh, we're talking about its initial stages i know at this point the band's at a very different phase of its life anyway but at the time would you say that the artistic input that came from you would have been mm. as powerful without being based on the privileges it had been to start with well i can only guess it's like a thought experiment mm-hmm. but the the artistic sentiment was very much one of love and joy and play and freedom to explore and express and very different and to very different to you the earlier generation very different yeah, to what your I mean, parents did it's a different sentiment to struggle and have to make art it's i haven't had that in a sense i've had some emotional struggles but by and large there have been no logistical problems and i'm sure that's a big factor fair play talking completely artistically also it was i mean mm. pink noise kinny alley and parikan yeah. singh they're they're pulled apart musically yeah sure so it was but i think the context is still the same the context is still freedom and support and a lack of anxiety it's also kolkata though isn't it uh yeah and it's also uh the unlikeliness of being in kolkata having yeah, yeah, yeah. not really fitting in yeah but still being yeah. here and still enjoying being here but definitely yeah. not fitting in on multiple levels on countless levels yeah I, I, yeah i can very intimately relate to that fitting in so well as a misfit mm That's yeah enjoying enjoying the lack of fit almost like i yeah. i think it's a source of humor yeah it's either a source of anxiety and aggravation or it's a source of laughter i remember feeling very similarly when i moved to kolkata as a kid from uh, london except that is probably even less of a misfit than you are cuz that whole london returned bengali thing is it's actually like a pretty standard box by now even though i wasn't that quintessential box either but in your case here you are you're born in the city of in of mixed heritage and gr- growing up with the culture and you have like an arts and music culture which has roots in a very different part of the planet different like multiple parts of the planet have you ever looked upon that experience that way uh Oh let me ask you yeah. what was it that made you a misfit Um well I think it's just choosing to care about stuff that quite clearly goes against the grain of what's normal over here and for me I think it's pr- multiple things it would be multiple things if I really thought about it but one thing that comes to mind instantly is desiring a peaceful and orderly public life outdoor experience in the city and of course you're not going to get that in calcutta mm. or in basically in anywhere in india in urban india so if you choose to 
seek that and care about that you're setting yourself up to not fit so i think it's there is an aspect of choice involved um may i ask you when you realized this for the first time consciously pretty much always i mean it was always too loud for me and then i think i would as a kid and even now i would get emotionally very affected by loud sounds mm-hmm. so like diwali was a nightmare growing up um mm-hmm. it was like emotional shock every time a bomb went off or whatever um mm-hmm. so yeah always and then just there is a certain rowdiness <laughs> out on the streets and i knew from a very young age that that was not me and that i was not going to be able to match that um so i'd have to figure out how i could navigate through that and i'm still trying to figure it out yeah i think a lot of us are mm. maybe ask you for suggestions on tools you use for the navigation your plugs mm. um, game changer yeah your plugs and then i guess just like making it a kind of game so for instance when i'm driving i'm really committed to driving as well as i can like being the best driver out on the streets of cal amidst mm. the chaos so Jesus. it's it is a bit of a game and it's almost enjoyable mm. i try and do that too so just not compromising i think that's the approach and does it work uh e- hmm well it's not i don't think it's changing the situation but yeah and it's a challenge so yeah it's enjoyable because it's a challenge mm. i i struggle i i actually try and apply the same tools you do the earplugs anyway the one time mm. i forgot my earplugs while traveling to kolkata I was really anxious um here's the thing some one of the one of my biggest struggles has been while trying to implement tools for mentioned was being made fun of and bullied mm. have you ever experienced this and yep. so how 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 have you dealt with it just suppressed it to be honest haven't really dealt with it how that go for you it's still active for sure um but a lot of it is many years ago now most of it so the effects do weaken over time or they have weakened for me but yeah they're still present in some way wasn't the best approach mind manifests into anger and uh, i've come to a point where i feel so much anger and i think the most um unnerving part of it is i'm not sure where the anger comes from especially now after having uh, been based mostly in europe after 20 years i'm i'm not even sure like the anger at times will feel so primal and so ancient i'm not really really sure where it comes from every now and then i'll have flashes and what you just mentioned the sensitivity to an extremely jarring environment at times unnecessarily so it's not like this is what indian culture is supposed to be about no you like blaring your horn spitting on the street and just shouting mindlessly and you know without any attempt whatsoever at articulation or any form of coherence that's not what indian culture was ever supposed to be about and then justifying it in the name of that and bullying those who are trying to make a difference that makes me angry at a level i can't even 
I'm surprised I could art- articulate that right now, as a matter of fact. Mm. And I've always been fascinated at how calm and zen you are regarding this, even though in recent years I know that it, you know, it's it's been tougher than you let on. Mm. But is there a solution here? This is an issue that definitely needs to be addressed, and you know, the COVID has obviously been a glaring expose. Well, I think I'm just going to keep living in a certain way and trying to improve the quality of my behavior. And I'm sure that will automatically have an effect, some kind of, some small effect, because that spreads to the people you're interacting with. It has to. Mm. Um, And then if some point of entry opens up to make a bigger difference, that's a different story. Um, And I hope I'd be prepared to take advantage of such a point of entry. But yeah, I think just doing what you can in your personal environment, improving the quality of your personal space and your personal actions, that's the start. Yeah, makes sense. Simple and effective. Social media has been asking, where the fuck did you go, man? I'm pretty sure social media isn't asking. Well, I am. You know, you <laughs> disappeared from social media. I know you do the obligatory Parik and Singh thing, but that's not really you. That's more like a that's Parik and Singh and their social media strategies. But you yeah. had a very active social, well, an Instagram account anyway, which I actually really enjoyed. Mm. I found quite inspiring the way you curated it. Mm. So, what happened? You just disappeared. Yeah. Uh, Well, it was definitely taking up way too much of my time. And I think that's because of my detail-orientedness. Because I would just spend Mm. a lot of time lining up things (laughs) while creating stories. Or, yeah, it was mostly that. So firstly, it was just the time factor. And it was tiring. Looking at a phone is tiring, for me anyway. Fuck yeah. Um, so it was, that was one thing. And then the other thing was I just, uh, I didn't like how I was, uh, feeling while interacting with some girls. Girls? Um, yeah. Specifically girls? Yeah. What was going on? It was just, uh, well, um, I guess I was attracted to the online avatars of certain girls and confusing that with being attracted to them as people. So I was interacting with them as people, but interacting through this software, through these tools. And I think just that, like the complexity of that interaction was something that was really confusing me and becoming kind of problematic. And I didn't want to complicate or distort that aspect of my interactions with people like specifically that aspect i kind of wanted to protect it safeguard it um so it was it was also that reason specifically in conjunction with spending too much time on it it was a combination of those two things okay let's okay um Let's start off with the first aspect, like the detail-oriented OCD tendencies and toll that can take on your visual cortex and your mental health when you're constantly 
being overtly detailed in the way you curate a channel that's on a fucking tiny piece of slab. I get that. Mm. The second aspect is so basically what you're referring to is was this like an Instagram version of online dating you were struggling with? No, it wasn't dating. I think that's why it was more complicated because it's not a dating app per se. And so, I wasn't trying to use it in that sense. But I was making connections with girls, with some right. girls. So you didn't um, intend for it to <clears throat> be a dating app, but it was kind of taking over and making you. Uh, no, again, it wasn't as if the interactions were really going down that path. But sure? I was definitely I, you know, feeling one thing things. About online dating. I never really know what path it's going down. Uh, well, I'm 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 only sure because I was specifically being cautious not to allow it to evolve in a certain way. Like I was quite circumspect with my language, and I was just being very careful. But I was having to be extra careful, I think, because there were certain feelings, and there was also a lot of distortion because it's a visual medium. And because mm. the visual is a major component in attraction. Yeah. Um, but I, I would rather have that visual in real life than mediated through a software where there's a lot of artifice that you can bring into play. And that it's just a distortion that I didn't want to have to deal with because there's enough to have to deal with if you feel something for someone. You said that very well. Wow, thanks for sharing that. That's pretty vulnerable stuff you shared there. Tell us more. Um, well, how do you feel? I guess. You f- hmm. Sorry, sorry. I keep interrupting, man. Sorry. Keep going. Go ahead. No, I mean, maybe your question will be a good prompt. Yeah. How, how do you feel about this entire visual culture that's like a constant onslaught on our senses? Like personally, my experiences is I'm, I find it exhausting. And for the longest time, before I went into therapy, I had no fucking clue how I'm supposed to deal with this. Until I realized the way our brain works, like there is a certain, like the animal brain and uh, and the fact that, you know, the biological hardwiring of a certain part of our brain and the way it's uh, just just programmed for us to categorize a certain visual input as attractive, regardless of if that's the kind of attractiveness we even want in our life or not. But the fact mm. that part of our brain is just programmed to save that in that manner and mm. to find discernment between that and actual connection and attraction to a, to a prospective fellow being is is something that took a lot of hard work for me to discern in, uh, between. Mm. And uh, um, it's, it's the one reason I uh, rejected dating apps. Uh, even though there is one I'm on right now, I think, because it actually kind of attempts to add some form of additional dimension. Uh, but even that is something I'm, yeah, I'm not going to be on very long. <laughs> or so he said. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if anything, in my experience, it's not an enhancement of my dating life in any way or even my connection to people generally it's been a hindrance it's been a hindrance wherein until at some point i didn't even i didn't even know who the fuck i was i actually ended up believing that this dude on instagram and portraying myself to be is who i am mm. 
which is why my motto now on my Instagram is forgive me for I don't exist because I'm still in the process of forgiving myself for all the things I've said and done in my pathetic attempts to portray myself as someone who I'm not. Mm. It's also a reference to the whole non-dual teachings and the fact that I truly didn't exist. You know, all of that shit on Instagram, none of it is real. Or very little of it is real. You know, you'd have to look very hard and curate your feed really strictly to find anything that's real. I ended up talking about myself again. This is, why does this always happen when we talk? I think I'm a good listener. Dude, you're, you're hijacking my podcast. You're the one that's <laughs> Without even, like, only you could hijack a podcast without hijacking it. Thanks. I'm not sure that was a compliment. No, it is. <laughs> it was. <laughs> nah, yeah, this is. So for our listeners, just for their FYI, one of the reasons Jivers come on so late is this is some this is something we kind of do regularly. It's just we just um, decided to put this one uh, on on tape, so to speak. Uh, and this is exactly how it usually goes down. You know, we I start asking him a question and answering it myself. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I need to work on this. No, I think it's cool. I'm I'm uh pleased that I can somehow serve that function. I think it's kind of cool that I can yeah, spur yeah. the answer to your own question from yourself. Yeah, man. I mean, that's also the reason I'm uh, I've always used you, used you as a bouncing board and more. Actually, a bouncing board is not the right term to use. It's way more than that. But um no, I. For the record, um, your leaving social media has been very, very reassuring for me, and I'm still waiting to make my getaway. I'm still waiting for the right time, which in itself feels like a trap at times. I think you know, if you're waiting that hard, except um, my visibility and uh, its maintenance makes it slightly more complicated. The numbers are very different in comparison to yours. Um, so it's still... The one thing I've always noticed is you've, you've always thought at least five to ten years ahead. Like the stuff I see you doing now, people do five years later or even ten. And I'm not just saying that. So I'm pretty sure a lot of us are going to be following our example in the near future. But I am still curious. How's it been since you left? Has your life improved? Definitely. Tell us more. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, I just want to spend as little time on the phone as possible. I think that's my goal. I thought, in fact, a couple of days ago, my phone wasn't coming on. I thought it had died. And it was such a relief to think that my phone was dead. And there was a lockdown. I couldn't go get a new phone or get, get it checked or whatever. I was just so happy. So I think just less social technology is what I'm after like less of a certain kind of interaction with people and accessibility to people um, um, and also I think the phone takes 
some control away from us, at least from me. Like I think the design of the hardware and a lot of the software is getting really good at ensuring that we look at it and keep looking and keep wanting the updates, etc. I'm sure there's a lot of studies on that. Um, so I can definitely feel that I'm more relaxed not being personally on Instagram and therefore not being on my phone as much. And I'm definitely more relaxed when I don't uh, chat with too many people on WhatsApp in a day. Um, it's just directly proportional, uh, sorry, inversely proportional time spent on phone and how good I feel in a day. There's no doubt about it. Um, and it's just uh, given me more time to do a lot of other things, which I wasn't doing as much, reading being one of them, and then watching movies being another, because I think I was so tired through looking at the phone so much that I wasn't really watching a lot of cinema and now I'm back to doing that again which has been beautiful so yeah amazing a great move for sure for me Has how's your yoga practice been since I know this might be a bit of a tangent but have you seen improvements in your yoga practice since you left social media um maybe i don't know how specifically but but i did also um stop using instagram right around the time i went to this meditation workshop last year in fact at mm -hmm. precisely the same time like just before i went to the workshop Interesting. and then once the workshop was done i knew i the, i was definitely not going to go back onto it or use it in that personal way again so very interesting. Yeah, I think it all it all kind of synced up in mm. a very positive way for me. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Synced up. How? When was your? Um, just gonna dive into this. You have deep spiritual values, even though it's not something we you. We, you or we talk about in the, the the more commonly used language. How has that been an influence in your approach to music? Um, mm, well, it's very integrated with my life as a whole. So... Um, there's no specific influence there's just like a totality of influence I would say because it is um, totally integrated with my life um, you're quite well versed and educated with the yoga sutras though like really legit I mean I'm, I've been a practicing yogi for a while too but your practice of it is a lot more all around like the way you exercise it in your uh, headspace and your overall approach is pretty well read and well versed yeah I guess that's the academic inclination but also the the intent with yoga is for it to be 
used and integrated with your life as a whole and mm-hmm. for it to seep into everything that you do um as as any good practice should i think any physical mental emotional practice should the the physical practice is going to influence all your physical actions so of course the the asana practice is going to influence is going to have an effect when i'm playing drums no doubt about it um and again particularly because it's drums and because it's total body usage i can see um that there is a correlation between um just how when you're practicing physical yoga you're sending your awareness to all parts of your body um it's very helpful to do that if you're a drummer and especially mm-hmm. if you want to play a certain kind of drums where you need a lot of four way coordination which is how i want to play mm-hmm. um so yeah full body awareness and then at the same time having awareness of the contents of your mind at all times of course that helps because perhaps when you're playing music you don't want too much content in your mind so you're able to catch trains of thought which aren't really helpful to you in a musical situation but which do happen all the time because the mind creates all the time certain part of the mind creates constantly um and then on a personal level there is there is like a there are like ethical aspects to yoga um mm-hmm. and they are the ethical aspects of i mean it's it's all like common ground i think all all the religious or mystical or spiritual or philosophical approaches kind of have the same ethical common ground um which is just basic uh principles to be a um a human being that fits fits in nicely with other human beings and doesn't cause too much chaos <laughs> um mm. so that's helpful when you're playing music with other people um you want to fit into the situation nicely you want to read the personalities and or at least i want to um be aware of the personalities um be like a like a balancing point in the midst of the group uh, there's a lot you can take from yoga or any practice any any like philosophical framework i think there's a lot that you can take and apply to whatever work you're doing with other people um but of course with music since it's body mind emotions spirit it's very applicable if you want it to be Yeah, I agree. When did this realization dawn upon you? It's it's a process. It's work in progress. It's 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 a flow. It's a stream of hopefully becoming more aware and hopefully um just being better and doing better. Was it in the awareness you were uh, in intimate contact with uh, when you started playing drums or started your journey as a musician not so much and there've probably been phases of more awareness and then less awareness and some phases of getting very caught up in other aspects of the music life which 
weren't really aren't really what I want at this point. Um, mm. Because of course it's a it's a very complex, multi-dimensional domain, and there's a lot to experience, and there's a lot of ways that you can get entangled with that experience. Mm. So, yeah, I wouldn't say it's been. Uh, uh, well, no, I would say it's been a slow and steady progression in this direction, but it's been up and down. Who taught you? Was it Jashree? Was she your first teacher? Your mom? No, um, her teacher was my first teacher. Excellent. Um, both my parents had a yoga teacher, and then he mm-hmm. taught me as well. But I was totally disinterested. Mm-hmm. But I guess it just it must have seeped in because I started at a very early age. I must have been I don't know must have been ten, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe maybe even younger. And I same here. See them doing yoga all the time every day. Yeah. So it's been around. Yeah, it's one of the very few stereotypical presumptions about my ancestry. I'm very happy about <laughs> the growing up with yoga. Yeah, I can't remember when I started doing it either. So yeah, I get that. How has yoga and your spiritual um, support system? How has that been these past few years? I mean, you've been through a tumult of. It's been a uh, quite the storm these past years there were you know first Gyan left then Jashri left and Parikan Singh blew up and then you went through a pretty intense breakup and all of this was happening at the same time what's been your support system uh, well I think firstly um, from a very young age I've definitely been very interested in what else is there to reality and what is behind the veil, so to speak. Mm. Um, so, for sure, from, from a young age, it was evident that I was not going to get solely entangled in just the physical, social world. Because my deepest desires were to know what what the functioning of the universe was, what life is, what existence is. Those are some of the earliest memories I have. These conversations with my mother, mm. and I remember that thread through my childhood and to the present day. Just the constant need to know more about what else, what if, what is beyond. Um, Beautiful. The the undeniable feeling that there is some mystical reality and magical reality underpinning this gross physical world. So when gross physical stuff happened to me, like the death of parents or relationships breaking up or things going well, work going well, etc., of course, I would go along for the ride with those experiences to an extent, but that that unbroken thread from from a very early age about what else, what 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 is beyond, etc., that somehow didn't get affected. That that hasn't been broken. That 
continued and also that that continued to give a lot of enjoyment i think once you start tapping into that stuff or at least for me once i started more consciously exploring that that side of my interests um i started getting a lot of enjoyment from it physical pleasure emotional gratification intellectual sparks um just like a lot of positive experience so it's just a lot of positive stuff to balance the negative stuff the seemingly purely negative stuff that was happening to me in some of these real world experiences so i i've i've had that balance going on constantly how people around you reacted to your reaction or reacted to your response rather um definitely a lot of puzzlement i think with the deaths of my parents because mm-hmm. i didn't sh- i guess i didn't feel and hence i didn't show some perhaps expected emotions and in fact at the moment of both their deaths and at the funerals i actually felt a lot of elation and um quite a lot of joy um mm-hmm. and like very real feelings of joy and elation and when i would hint about that to some people they would think that maybe i'm maybe i've got some kind of ptsd or something and actually mm. i'm i shouldn't be feeling that and i'm probably feeling really devastated but because i've got some mental health issues i'm not able to gauge what i'm actually feeling or something so yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's ironic, i don't really right? talk about it it's ironic right because the indian you know funerals in india are meant to be a form of you know sober but celebration like death is supposed to be is meant to be uh, liberation celebration and mm. indian funerals are mm. in a way an uh, a tribute to that you know it's somber mm. it's not exactly mm. uh, like a party per se and yet it's amazing how people present at these events will be completely oblivious and disconnected from that vein but yeah i i mean i got a i got a complaint at a certain point i was slightly worried too until we started talking about it uh i i did ask myself at some point if this wasn't some form of deflection on your side but it was pretty quickly clear that you know now you got together and also i mean it's not like you're uh, spiritually bypassing the events in your life you're also in therapy so it's not like you're running mm. away you're in constant uh, confrontation you've been in therapy since you want to talk about that a little oh uh, well it's certainly useful i will say that it's been it was very useful for me um, tell us more in what way was it useful just gave me new tools specifically language tools i think mm-hmm. um because i was kind of afraid to talk about feelings and certain mm. parts of my thinking um yeah i was kind of just afraid to tackle a lot of stuff uh, even to myself even to articulate it to myself so i i wasn't really even aware of a lot of stuff that i was feeling and then once i got into it of course the exploration began 
and then there mm-hmm. was lots to explore and a lot to discover and then <laughs> i guess my academic side kicked in again so that it just became like a new area of interest and study mm-hmm. um but it was very healing and helpful as well primarily that to begin with i needed that aspect first before i before it could get interesting and an area to explore which is what it is now mm mm-hmm. it was evident i mean they do say when you heal you heal your loved ones around you as well by default one way or the other and i could definitely feel the difference it was in our example it it made it so much easier for me to communicate with you too like it gave me the opportunity to finally address a lot of areas in our relationship as well which felt way more challenging there there you had walls you know before all of this happened it'd be like mm. any attempt at addressing certain issues and the walls would go up and they're like okay he's not <laughs> jabber's gone mm. and it's been a transformation since and that level at the level of communication not at the level of connection per se because that's something right. you've always been very uh, authentic about i almost used the word loyal but i struggled with that word i'm not i don't know how comfortable i am with that but you know you've always been very uh yeah compassionate and you know connection has not been the issue but communication at that level it's been very palpable i give you some feedback to what you just said i feel like i'm talking about myself again <laughs> No you're right. Yeah. I think communication is one of the big things I'm I'm working on and I hope to continue working on because there's once you start working on it you see mm. um how far there is to go to be able to communicate and articulate and use language or um and other forms of language perhaps body language expression whatever like all of all of the communicative apparatus that we have um and how it's important to work work at it and use it effectively mm-hmm. and i wasn't really aware of it i wasn't really using it that effectively before i think before i got into therapy and then started looking into it the courage with which you've embraced that modality though is very inspiring i mean it's it's inspired me to up my game too in a lot of ways and i mean in these past few you know even in the recent like just past year we've addressed elephants in the room that have been waiting for uh, for a while now mm. and it's uh, i've been pleasantly shocked at your reaction and how well you've dealt with it it uh yeah it's inspiring and uh, thank you mm thank you how do you feel about skeptics regarding therapy in this day and age uh have you ever been judged their own no okay that's good i haven't encountered any skeptics that's mm. good to hear and how have your I mean I know both of us have had had the privilege of coming from you know more you know, loving families and all that but still mm. you know love is a very diverse word to say the least how how of your uh, not immediate in in a circle but how of the extended family reacted to your experiences these past few years um not just to you the loss well, the physical loss of Gyan and Jayashree but also your mm. success and 
you know the polarized progress of your life these past few years the the success in your career the loss of your family and you're also like i can't quite remember you were you were 32 or something and you're like an indian male and there is that shockingly enough paradigm of the whole marriage and kids and stuff how's it how's that thing going that's that's there that comes up i know right it's still there fairly it's frequently <laughs> <laughs> yeah with a bunch of people but hmm. uh, i mean i i do have i'm blessed with a pretty cool really cool family i have to mm. say mm. um it's large and i it's quite integrated and i'm really connected to many layers of it um ah, multiple know, generations yeah. multiple layers deep from so both true. sides yeah. and also after the death of my mother both sides started reaching out to each other a little bit so there was that integration happening oh that's beautiful um, and i think there's there's a pretty healthy respect for space um there was yeah. some worry initially yeah but but i would say all things considered compared to a lot of other families i've seen especially in india specifically in india mm-hmm. um i'm given a lot of space like unconditional support and actually a lot of space and i think i would be given more space if i asked for it mm-hmm. and i guess uh that's probably something i'm still working on which is just speaking up for how i'm really feeling like i often don't say exactly what i want out of it's, it's easier said than done of, right it's like playing uh, yeah. guitar or drums really it's like you know of course you want to see you have these emotions you want to get them off but that mm. entire act of actually playing exactly the notes the way you hear it in your head i mean that takes practice mm. people forget that articulation takes practice yeah. some people are born with it not everyone of us is i mean i i i have that too you know like mm. this is sometimes there'll be this huge dialogue going on in my head but you know i just mm. don't seem to get it out on time for it to actually make a difference the difference i wanted to make in that particular situation mm yeah and it, but it's a two way process i mean they will somebody will um push into your space as much as you let them to some extent i mean there is also uh the opportunity for you to push back and carve out your space and that's constant work in progress and constant calibration but yeah all things considered it's a really unique family i have to say and a lot of very interesting personalities a lot of very inspiring people um definitely a lot of love and affection and warmth and just like a network i'm really happy to be a part of beautiful I'm very happy for you and you deserve that. Mm. How do you strike that balance though between staying centered and you know especially in situations of differences of opinion? How do you stay centered and stand your ground without hurting people? Well, I would say don't I mean I try not to react impulsively pretty very much good all the point. time. Sounds simple but that's such a great point that's so easy to forget right when you're in the heat of the mm. moment. just not acting positively yeah. that's that's a gold nugget there yeah takes practice so i'm definitely practicing that like firstly just being hyper aware of that fact that your impulsive reaction maybe the one you want to exhibit 
but chances are it's not the best one to exhibit at that time so firstly not really reacting in the moment in these situations just like checking sounds, out how i'm feeling what i'm thinking sounds just so thinking a little bit mm so- sounds so counterintuitive i know it makes complete sense to mm. me it's just so tricky right because you know it, it, yeah. you know on the surface it sounds so counterintuitive to all that we think is inherently connected to authenticity being in the moment reacting in the moment and then all of a sudden no don't react in the moment i guess you've got to train it also like exactly um yeah. like if you're in a situation where you do need to react in the moment then you need to be training for that so luckily i'm not generally in those kinds of situations like i don't know if you're a pilot or a soldier or a doctor or any of that stuff or or a musician on stage actually where you do need to react in the moment mm-hmm. so i guess it depends on the situation and i guess there's a lot of learning and training and practice that is required to react correctly in the moment balance all the forces and come up with the solution instantaneously but i i know it is possible people do it and how do we train um simulations study really? ah. conversation um huh. yeah i mean i'm just i'm just riffing here but i i would guess that these are some approaches um reading the words of such people perhaps hmm. um yeah all of it doing good it all stuff. good stuff personally i use uh, a, a very explicit counterbalance uh, like mm. stress buses yeah like uh, working out as it sounds banal you know mm. yeah that, of course you know yeah. i i am definitely way more prone to getting triggered if i haven't worked out in mm. a couple of days like if i'm not mm. working out 5 days a week i am so much more like my Mm. I'm not sure that's even a good thing but <laughs> anymore. Um one might call me an addict. Uh but yeah, I mean it doesn't have to be working out but at this phase I mean, of I my life. I mean I guess with your BJJ your training, I mean that's that seems pretty specifically that seems yeah, to be that's training for that. Definitely. That's definitely a practice I've taken on uh, the martial arts generally to learn to train the mind uh, to deal with conflict. even though i don't have any plans whatsoever to ever get into a realistic physical conflict um, outside the gym because mm. it's you know that whole counterintuitive thing of staying relaxed in the situation of conflict is not something you can do unless you've really trained it regularly mm. uh but yeah even if you know even if i were doing martial arts just yoga or working out like being physical it's it's a scientific fact you know stress and the chemicals which come with it the best way to rid them of your body or i'm sorry rid your body of them is mm. just to exercise like work out mm. it's been especially in desi circles it has been very a very neglected point of view like because we're all about meditation and you know mm. spirituality and everything which obviously is very you know very much part of the picture but we forget that we are on this planet experiencing yeah. everything to that we do with this one instrument which we have and it's the only instrument yeah. which we have really needs to be talked about more often. Mm. 
um, at times. Anyway, we've been out for almost 90 minutes. I mean, I know we could go another 90 minutes very comfortably, but um, parting thoughts, man. Like, tell you know, at this point, if your life and your career, what are the most important realizations you've made as an artist more than anything else in your approach and relationship to art? What's been the biggest change that's happened? Uh, I guess it's nice to know that there's infinite ground to cover. So it's actually hard to get jaded if you think about that. If you think about how much there is to explore and learn and do and experience um, in fact, just these past couple of days, I've been really feeling a desire to get into some hand drums, bongos to begin Sweet. with specifically. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I've like been feeling it finally beyond mm. just a fleeting thought. So that's actually exciting me. In fact, I'm getting goosebumps just saying that. Mm, me too. So things like that, just the the constant potential to discover new desires and then follow up on those desires mm. it's a pretty amazing thought beautiful how how do you define success at this stage of your life and career i say this because you have attained a certain type of success that sent set the bar at a very different league altogether having done that now at this stage how do you define success? Just keeping that desire intact, the desire to grow, improve, get better, mm-hmm. do more, expand, keep the work ethic up. Just that, just like protect the desire to do it, to do the work, which is quite a struggle for me sometimes. But when it kicks in and when I can tap into it, then I know that I'm back on the track I want to be on. So I think that, that's pretty much, that's kind of all I think about. It's either I'm feeling that and I'm following it up or I'm not feeling it and I'm trying to figure out how to get back onto that. Mm. Tell us about the struggle though, brother. Not to focus on it, but I think some of our audiences should hear about it. Yeah, it's, well, for me, it's been there. Um, What is the struggle? What is it that you actually struggle with? Just just the... mm, well, I, I think for me, what what it might be is that my interests are kind of all over the place. So mm. here, I mean, I was speaking specifically about the the desire to work on music and the instrument and musical projects. And sometimes that desire is low for me, but the desire to read or to write or to uh, travel... Uh, I guess the desire to learn generally is quite high, but it keeps moving through different domains. And it just so happens that I've devoted most of my time and energy and attention to the domain of music. And that's what I'm now kind of known for. And hence, there is some expectation from without and from within to continue down that that path mm-hmm. in particular. But even though I do love music and I do enjoy spending time, it's, 
I wouldn't say I I love music more than I love reading literature or mm. more than I love making videos yeah, or that resonates m- with me even more than I love traveling or watching movies or yeah. going to a lecture like I generally just want to do a lot of different things but this is the thing I'm doing practically with most of my time so yeah. I think it's just a it's a natural balancing act because I've got multiple interests but I'm not really able to devote as much energy to all of them I've got to choose so I think it's just that it's just finding yeah. the balance very well put I think it's a it's it's a part of the story a lot of people miss out on realizing you know there's a saying in in German which actually kind of cuts it wer nur musik versteht versteht kein musik it means anyone who understands music only and basically you know doesn't really has like a complete tunnel vision about music okay music is all there is to it hasn't really understood music mm can you say uh, it again in german wer nur musik versteht versteht kein musik it's a nice symmetrical sounding phrase yeah that's german for you it's uh, i'm very it's you know, <laughs> I mean, i'm blessed to have the two the three languages uh, you know the, well i don't know bengali uh, i'm not quite sure exactly what role it plays in my life because it's primarily just what i used to communicate with my parents i don't even know if i'd be speaking the language if i weren't in touch with my parents to be absolutely honest i'm a terrible bengali sorry um mm. But yeah, um, mm. I think the binary nature of German, you know, it, it kind of sometimes in certain situations it'll cut to the point where other languages are still fumbling, still getting to the point, trying to get yeah. to the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah still beating around nice. the bush, and you know, in five words, and German will cut it. That being said and done, it's also a fucking pain in the ass, you know, when you want to just have like a. Mm. conversation that's not necessarily about getting to a point but just playing with a certain energy just dancing like german's not a language you can dance with you know it's not a mm. yeah you can you just it's 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 a it's a vehicle that's designed to just get to you to your destination asap mm. it's not a it's not a language you can dance in Um okay that happened out of the blue <laughs> but yeah um it's like the beginning of another episode oh i know right yeah, language yeah. and communication yeah. i mean i'm mean, yeah, definitely going gonna... i was i started thinking about all the german filmmakers i'm into and exactly and the music stop. i listen to i'm getting goosebumps oh, yeah, you know you know you know the the um the polar natures of the music i listen to like like bach for example like there's no space for interpretation it's just so glass clear you know mm. and that in uh, contrast to uh, miles or even harpasa chorasi and the likes you know, mm. where it's all about you know do you get this you feel this no no well i'll play another note whereas <laughs> <laughs> box like take that you know this is it yeah uh, i love both worlds equally It's just mm. uh, yeah definitely the beginning of, of another episode where well, you're definitely going to be I mean if this um, if more seasons are to come on this podcast is this is if this is something I can manage to make into a sustainable thing you're definitely going to be on again no doubt whatsoever and yeah 
it's uh, it's funny having you on the podcast finally because uh, you know for our listeners the past 20 conversations we've had offline have been about shit this would have been a, <laughs> a great podcast too <laughs> but uh, yeah we made it finally what? indeed oh yeah 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 you waited till the very last part of the show to do one of those, huh? <laughs> I was surprised. I was like, okay, wow, this is literally the first time that hasn't happened. So, yeah, you had to wait till the very last part of the show. All right, brother. FYI, I'm going to stop recording that. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, talk soon. Just another voice out in.